0: what's up everybody and welcome back to the shoot your shot sports podcast today we're going to talk about some big news in college football touch on what's going on in major league baseball and the end of the nba regular season and also have a big three draft of the best fights in sports history episode eight the ocho coming at you right now Hello, everybody, and welcome back. I'm Landon Pangburn, along with my brother and co-host Preston Pangburn. We've got a lot going on in sports right now. College football has made some big announcements. Major League Baseball season is in full swing, and the NBA regular season is wrapping up. P, how you doing? I'm doing well, but a little nervous, honestly. Um, now
1: that the Big Ten and Pac-12 went down, they're starting to cancel things that I thought were uncancelable. But um, every day that goes by that I personally don't get canceled is a good day in my view.
0: <laughs> Heard that. All right. Well, why don't we kick it off then with a little bit of a breakdown of the news in college football? You want to give it to him?
1: Yeah. So as I just mentioned, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 conferences both announced the other day that they have suspended football um, in all fall sports. Um, They have claimed that they're going to try and play football over the spring, which I'm a little bit skeptical of. But as of uh, right now, it looks like we're going to have three of the Power Five conferences playing this fall, the ACC, SEC, and Big 12. Lando, what do you think
0: about that? Yeah, it's kind of funky. Like, Had you asked me You know, whatever it was, six months ago prior to all this, if I would be happy with only three conferences playing college football this year, I would have said no. But at this point, I will take absolutely any college football that I could possibly get. I'm not really optimistic about the ability for them to finish a season, if I'm going to be honest with you. I just think it's so hard, like we've been saying before, with 85 guys and whatever, 15 or 20 coaches to try to keep everybody healthy during that entire time. But I would absolutely be thrilled if we could get three conferences playing a full football season this year. What do you think?
1: I'm with you there. Um, the most surprising or shocking thing in this news to me is that the Pac-12 got canceled because I thought that they were canceled back in 2013 when that. Chip Kelly left Oregon. Real um, but in all seriousness, I, I'm gonna I'm choosing to um, be a little bit more optimistic on my view here just because I want to speak it into existence. Um, hopefully, the three conferences can get to the end where they're having a college football playoff, um, whether it's four teams or eight teams. We'll see if they do kind of the standard four playoff, um, fourteen playoff then you're really all all you're missing is ohio state Mm -hmm. because you're gonna have clemson who's in it every year oklahoma who's in it pretty much every year and an sec champion yeah so as long as the first round of the college football playoff in january includes oklahoma losing to the sec champion by like 80 or 90 points everything's gonna feel right
0: i'm with you yeah there's i mean a lot of the most talented teams in college football are contained within those three conferences like i said i'll take it
1: yeah and and Just in all of this, it's crazy how many unknowns there still are. I mean, Penn State head coach James Franklin came out saying there are so many outstanding questions about, like, do players lose a scholarship year? What happens to fifth-year seniors? What are the transfer rules going to be? Like, if players have to sit out a year, if they want to go somewhere where they can play this year, all that type of thing. And he was basically saying on ESPN yesterday that how can you make this decision to cancel the season when none of those questions are answered? Mm -hmm. Um, So you've got some practical questions um, guys taking like an analytical view in that sense, and then you've got crazies like um, Lou Holtz. Did you see what he said? No, I,
0: I, I, <laughs> I didn't know Lou Holtz was still speaking. Oh
1: man, it, it's about time to shut all Lou Holtz down. <laughs> but he basically was uh, defending or advocating for them playing this season, and said, "Well, we knew that there were going to be casualties when we stormed Normandy, didn't we?" Oh my gosh, Lou Holtz! <laughs> Take it easy, That's, psycho. That is
0: absolutely savage.
1: Yeah, it's just like, dude, no one's been taking you seriously for years, but we. Got got to get you off the air
0: yeah there there are a lot of unknowns i mean i think it's weird that we are about six weeks away from when the big 12 and the sec are going to start which is september 26th and like uga we have no idea who we're playing first i mean we know the start date but there's not even a schedule that's been set out yet we know the teams we're playing but where are we going to be? It's it's just very strange.
1: It is strange, and at this point, you usually know who you're playing. You're already starting to watch film on them from the previous season and prepare schematically for you know whatever that's going to entail. Um, you've got you know their logo and stuff plastered all over the workout rooms, just kind of getting jacked up to play them. So it's very strange not knowing what the schedule is going to be. Um, And then just on top of all this, one last thing I want to mention on college football is uh, Nebraska head coach Scott Frost is saying that they're still going to look for ways to play if they can join another conference or just be independent for this year. Um, Ohio State coach Ryan Day is saying that if they do a spring season, he's hoping they'll start in January. So we just have a complete shitstorm. The only thing we know is that three of those Power Five conferences plan on playing. And so that's what I'm going to hang my hat on. I'm choosing to be optimistic about it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Come on. So transitioning over to the NFL, or I guess kind of a hybrid between college football and the NFL, Todd McShay, um, acknowledging that it is crazy timing to do this, but he put out a way too early mock draft today. Um, And if you look at his top 10, just going down the list, at number three, you've got Penny Sewell, Offensive tackle of Oregon. He's not going to be playing Pac-12. Number four, Justin Fields, quarterback Ohio State. His season's canceled as well. Number six, Micah Parsons, linebacker Penn State. He opted out. Numbers seven and eight are Rashad Bateman, wide receiver out of Minnesota, and Sean Wade, cornerback from Ohio State. And both of that, go, both of those guys' seasons are canceled uh, in the Big Ten. And then finally, at number nine, Gregory Rousseau, outside linebacker for Miami, who opted out, even though the ACC is playing this year. So six out of Todd McShay's top 10 picks not going to be playing this year for one reason or another. So, of course, it has an impact on college football, but it's going to have a huge impact on the NFL draft
0: process as well. Any thoughts on that? I mean, in a way, doesn't that kind of benefit those guys? Like if they ended their last season with... The NFL scouts having a very high opinion of them and they don't have a chance to play again and prove those guys wrong. All they've got to do is perform well at a combine. They have a year to, to focus fully on training and then kind of jump into that process and not risk injury. I mean, I think that's a, a huge benefit to those guys. I
1: completely agree that um, the guys won't hurt their stock. I do think it hurts the quarterbacks developmentally, mm-hmm. like Justin Fields. You know, he needs more time to play in that air it out, Ohio State offense, kind of play in a pro style, get ready for the league. But no, I agree with your point that if you already have top 10 stock, you're just not going to ruin it as long as you test well at the combine. Um, the kind of inverse view of this that I thought was really interesting and a great point from Joe Burrow, uh, he tweeted out that if this had happened last year, he might be looking for a job right now now. Mm -hmm. He was projected to be a fifth to seventh round quarterback and just had this crazy ascent up to Heisman Trophy national champion, number one overall pick with the greatest season of all time. So there are guys who, you know, not of that magnitude, but they do this every year. So it just kind of takes some of these late bloomers. It takes opportunity away for them to have that kind of
0: ascent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, there are probably a ton of guys in the Big Ten and Pac-12 who are very talented football players, and that's the reason they're playing for teams in those conferences that we're going to break out this year and you're not going to see them. So, I mean, there are going to be guys who you don't really know about right now who are going to eventually get picked up by NFL teams and become stars. And you don't know who they are because they didn't get to play their last year of college football.
1: Yeah, exactly. So there, there's going to be some trickle-down effect from these guys not being able to play either their senior season or their last year in college if they uh, chose to opt for the draft. But anyway, speaking of NFL stars, you see the George Kittle news today?
0: Yeah, go ahead and talk about that contract. Yeah, so it was
1: reported that he signed for six years, $94.8 million, which comes out to fifteen point eight per year, kind of blowing the past tight end contracts out of the water, completely resetting the market. Um, I'm not sure we've seen it confirmed by any super credible source yet. Um, but if it's true, I mean, Travis Kelsey's contract that he signed either last offseason or two years ago was for five years, $47 million. So in terms of total dollars, he's doubling up the guy who a lot of people consider to be the best tight end in the, in the league. So pretty crazy deal there. Completely resets the tight end market.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can see this from two different perspectives. The first one is that George Kittle is obviously a really good football player. He's coming off of back to back 1,000 yard receiving seasons, including over 1,300 yards in 2018, where he led the league in tight end receiving. He's 26 years old, he's right in the middle of his prime. And then also, we've just seen in recent years how valuable tight ends can be. I think example A is the Patriots last year without Gronk. Their offense just went significantly downhill. So it just shows how valuable a really good tight end can be in an offense. On the other side, you mentioned Travis Kelsey. Like Travis Kelsey led the NFL in receiving for tight ends last year. Like He finished higher than George Kittle. So George Kittle making twice as much as him is a little bit insane and i mean in the nfl when you got a salary cap that can hold you back if you don't have enough money to sign other players
1: yeah it can and one last note on Kittle is I just want to say that he is just the absolute perfect fit in a Kyle Shanahan scheme where it's just zone running zone blocking Uh, he can take on linebackers he can take on safeties he can run routes Um, I think he opened it up a ton for those running backs last year that just ran wild you saw the Raheem Mostert breakout season Um, and then yeah you know that uh, Kyle Kyle Shanahan kind of famous play where George Kittle pretends that he's blocking and just falls down Mm -hmm. and then gets up and runs across the field and catches it and goes for Forty yards, yep. like they're just so creative, and he's so good that it's going to be a lot of fun to watch for the next six yep. plus
0: years. They're awesome, yeah, and I love the little Jimmy Garoppolo and George Kittle wearing shirts of each other back to back. I mean, have you seen the whole thing? I have not seen that. Jimmy Gooops a guy, man. I, I <laughs> yeah, there was like Jimmy Garoppolo was wearing a shirt of George Kittle, and then George Kittle came back wearing the shirt. With the picture of Jimmy Garoppolo wearing the George Kittle on his, like it was just like Inception, basically of T-shirts.
1: Ridiculous. Have you going off topic here? Have you heard about um, George Kittle's pregame routine? No, but it already sounds electric so i read this last year and he might have uh talked about this in a barstool interview but basically he goes out on the field does his you know calisthenics or whatever comes back into the locker room uh reads a note from his dad his dad writes him a note before every game um and then he listens to some music bangs his head on the locker goes in the bathroom and throws up he said he throws up before every game and then goes and takes the field sounds like a
0: serial killer. Yeah, sounds like a 95 million dollar man. Yeah. <laughs> what a legend. All right. Let's kick it on over to baseball now. So let's I think we're going to stick mostly in the NOS today, which I think is maybe both of our favorite division races now. The Dodgers were supposed to run away with it, but the the Padres and the Rockies, Rocktober are so sick. I especially love the Padres. Fernando Tatis Jr. is a beast he came into today hitting 333 with eight home runs and five stolen bases and he's just so much fun to watch he's so smooth makes it look effortless especially for how young he is I also like the top of the Padres rotation they got Chris Paddock Dendelson LeMet Garrett Richards who have been burned by in fantasy many a time because he's always hurt but when that guy's healthy he can play what you got in the NL West
1: I love it, man. I, you know I'm uh, big on Rocktober. My guy Charlie Blackman's going to be the one who takes you down with that 400 uh, batting average bet. But I love the Padres too. Um, you mentioned Denelson uh big Denelson energy. He's crushing it this year. He's got like a 1.5 ERA, striking guys out all over the place. He's on my fantasy squad, huge Denelson Lamette guy. But yeah, the West is so much fun.
0: Yeah, you mentioned Charlie Blackman. For those who don't know, Charlie Blackman came in to today, which we're recording this on Wednesday night hitting exactly 500 on the year. He's 34 for 68, which is ridiculous. You really, you you confident in his ability to hit 400?
1: 400 no but i'm really hoping he can at least give me a split on the over 370 but yeah espn's david schoenfield tweeted today charlie blackman is the fifth player since ted williams hit 400 in 1941 to be at 500 through 17 games so even just 17 games it's really really hard to do yeah. that
0: 34 for 68's insane that's incredible yeah i mean he is a 307 career hitter he had a career high batting average of 331 in 2017 Obviously he's no joke. He has the advantage of course field with the balls flying through the thin air and a massive outfield to cover. I mean, if anyone can do it, maybe it's Charlie Blackman.
1: Yeah. And we had talked about on a previous episode, the Rockies and their lineup. I mean, I would say that there is not a more underrated trio lineup-wise than Charlie Blackman, Trevor Story, and Nolan Arenado for the Rockies. Their pitching is just not great. I was kind of checking earlier today the uh, score they were playing. I think the Angels today. Who were they playing today? Anyway, they were five to five in like the fifth inning. I looked down for ten minutes, looked back, and they're down thirteen to five. <laughs> Bullpen just an absolute dumpster fire. <laughs>
0: that so that's their problem. I mean, they just can't get anybody out. Yeah, it's tough. Well, what about one of our other favorites? The oakland a's led by the oakland mats just as a brief update for the people who have been following our podcast from the beginning after a matt olson home run today matt chapman and matt olson are now tied at six home runs apiece
1: yeah they're they're starting to swing it a little bit i mentioned that matt olson grew the mustache he's as dangerous as ever your boy matt chapman is starting to light it up a little bit um he had a two home run game the other day i think that if the season ended today i mean. I would, I would assume that Aaron Judge is your MVP, but Chapman's probably top five. If you look at his numbers,
0: he's doing well. Well, I can't forget to mention Mike Trout, who has absurd dad strength at this point in time. He's at seven home runs in nine games as a dad, I think is the stat. Exactly. And
1: yeah. uh, you mentioned the San Diego Padres. Mike Trout's the ultimate Padre. He <laughs> <Yes. laughs> Had a baby, hitting
0: dingers. He is. And then our Oakland Mats have a teammate who in the last week has become a legend, He has joined Joe Kelly in the realm of the legends and people that hate the Houston Astros. If you didn't see, Ramon Laureano had gotten hit by a pitch and was standing on first base. There was a little bit of trash talk that ensued between him and the Houston Astros hitting coach, Alex Cintron, in the dugout. And Ramon Laureano decided that he was going to take on the team by himself and just did a full on sprint into the dugout. Didn't really turn out well for him. He just kind of got tackled immediately and then surrounded by the entire <laughs> opposing team. You're right. But uh, regardless, huge nuts on that guy. Big fan of Ramon Laureano. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I support him too. He he joins the list of guys getting suspended for trying to fight or throwing pitches at the Astros. So I respect him for that. Um, didn't they say that he went after the
0: one of the coaches for the Astros because he made some kind of vile comment about his mom? He did. He made a vile comment in Spanish about Ramon Laureano's mother, and mm-hmm. he wasn't putting up with that. So I mean, whether it's cheating or them talking bad about your mom. No one likes the Astros, and I, I want more of this. I want as much as we can get of destroying the Houston Astros.
1: Yeah, I'm all in on it, and, and I get it that he didn't take the mama joke well after being thrown at, not once, but twice. Yeah, he got hit twice. At you, you can make mama jokes, but not after you throw a 100-mile fastball at somebody.
0: So that brings us to our next thing, which, because Ramon Laureano is now a legend and a hero forever, we're going to move on into a big three draft of the best fights in sports history i had the first pick in the last draft so preston is going to start us off with the first pick in this draft if you haven't been with us before the big three is just where we go back and forth trying to pick the best team of whatever category we have and uh, put it up to a vote on social media so preston go ahead and kick us off with your first pick for the best fights in sports history
1: so with the number one overall pick for best fights I feel obligated to go with probably the one we all think of first, uh, The Malice at the Palace. All right. So in 2004, a basketball game between the Indiana Pacers and the Detroit Pistons in Detroit at the uh, Palace at Auburn Hills uh, got a little bit chippy with 46 seconds left. And I didn't realize that there was that little time left in the game. It kind of makes it a little bit funnier. But I think it was Ron Artest who changed his name to Metal World Peace later and is now something else. Anyway, he fouled Ben Wallace at the end of the game. They got into a little bit of a shoving match. Um, They get separated by other players and refs or whatever and... Ron Artest goes and lays down on the scorer's table, being mature honestly, Mm -hmm. trying to cool down a little bit keep himself out of trouble, at which point a fan throws a drink at him, and I don't know if it hit him but it at least you know landed next to him on the scorer's table and got him a little wet Anyway, Ron Artest not so maturely handles this one, and he runs up into the crowd, probably 10-12 rows deep, and starts absolutely wailing on the wrong guy (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine taking like your 12-year-old son to his first like Pistons game and just getting your (laughs) ass kicked by 6'9 Ron Artest.
0: He is huge (laughs) and scary. I mean, he had already had a reputation at that time of being a hothead. I mean, that's a terrifying human being to come charging at you when you're completely innocent.
1: Yeah, and the funny part is if you go back and watch the video, I think the guy like as he was running up into the stands was kind of like cheering him on a little bit. Like, wow, this is unbelievable. Like Mm -hmm. acknowledging in the moment this is going to be a ridiculous piece of history. Next thing he knows, he's just getting whomp By Ron
0: Martinez. Yeah, I mean, the idea of getting hit by something from behind when there's like 200, whatever people immediately in your vicinity and just swinging at one randomly (laughs) no idea yeah like that's just ridiculous and then
1: steven jackson uh, ran up into the crowd and just started wailing on people too Um, there was that video later down on the floor of Jermaine O'Neill punching the guy who everyone jokes looks like turtle from entourage yes (laughs) anyway what sticks out in my mind about this and about run our test hitting the wrong guy and i know that we've joked about this um, from some uh, fights we witnessed in college in athens but i think court was talking about how there was this one fight and there were no teams like someone (laughs) who was an innocent bystander trying to discern which teams were which would have absolutely no clue like of course the guys wearing the Pacers jerseys around the same team but other than that it's just Pacers fans hitting Pacers players and vice versa just overall absurd
0: yeah that's a pretty hard one to top that's a really good
1: first pick yeah, thank you. And, and just to wrap it up real quick, um, just to give the people the magnitude of this. After the game, the NBA suspended nine players for a total of 146 games, um, losing $11 million in salary across those nine players. Five players were charged with assault and eventually sentenced to a year of probation and community service. Five fans faced criminal charges and were banned from attending Pistons home games for life. And the fight led to uh, increased security measures across the league and limited alcohol sales and games. Yeah. So <laughs> that's a big
0: one. Yeah. I mean, I remember at the time it's, we, we just laugh at it and kind of marvel at it looking back, but at the time it was bad. It was really bad. And I think Ron Artest got suspended the rest of the year and they had to do that. They just had to make an example because that can not ever happen again. But
1: no, I'm honestly shocked. He didn't get banned for life for yeah. that. But anyway,
0: yeah. All right. So kicking it over to me for my first pick, I'm going with in the 1998 Eastern Conference playoffs, the New York Knicks were playing the Miami Heat and a fight broke out between Larry Johnson and Alonzo Mourning. Do you know which one I'm talking about? I think so. Okay. So Larry Johnson and Alonzo Mourning, two really good players, but more than that, two massive scary human beings, both like between six, eight and seven feet jacked and huge. They get into a fight but here is the best part about it is that little Jeff Van Gundy, little bald guy with his glasses comes out there to break up the fight and he's the head coach of the Knicks at the time and dives in the fetal position at Alonzo Morning's leg while they're fighting and just gets dragged around like a mop on the floor (laughs) for a while and is like hanging on for dear life while a 270 pound man pulls him around and it was just an ugly scene it it was even funnier because he had recently before that tried to step into another fight and got caught with like a a random punch from Marcus Camby so Jeff Van Gundy just needs to stay out of NBA fights
1: yeah you would have think you would have thought he learned his lesson on that first one um poor poor Van Gundy he's he's a good guy but yeah at his size you probably want to stay out of those let the refs or the other players handle it heard that (laughs) All right. So with my second pick, um, and this is a little bit of a Homer pick, but I'm going to go with Kyle Farnsworth. Um, (laughs) He is what I mean by Homer pick. He's an Alpharetta, Georgia guy, uh, Milton High School graduate used to play, I think up at Wills Park where we grew up playing baseball. Um, Anyway, in 2003, he was a pitcher for the Chicago Cubs. And when Reds pitcher, Paul Wilson, squared to punt against him, um, he threw it a little bit up and in, gave him some chin music. Uh, Wilson did not like that. He kind of turned around, started jawing at him a little bit. And Farnsworth, after the pitch, was already walking towards him. So as soon as Paul Wilson kind of, I guess, charged him, just dropped his bat, Kyle Farnsworth runs towards him and spears him and gets probably two or three really good shots in um, and bloodies him up a little bit. So it's just funny to be the guy Kind of instigating it by throwing a 100 mile an hour fastball at his face and then charging him and spearing
0: him. Yeah, well, Kyle Fernsworth was not averse to fights in the first place. He kind of liked fighting. I mean, he was like 6'4", 230, and I think he's a black belt in karate. Yes. (laughs) So so he would just chuck like 100 mile an hour fastballs at guys because if you charged him, he didn't really care. He kind of liked it. And I love how, you know, it's called, the term is charging the mound, but that's not what happened in this case. He charged the batter. Yes, when they met, the spear happened closer to home plate. Yes, so it's funny because I think in the live action when it originally happened, the camera, for whatever reason, had panned away to something else and you just turn back and it's just kyle farnsworth on top of Paul yeah. wilson just unleashing some ground and just down. yes throwing
1: some absolute haymakers <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah but kyle farnsworth historically was kind of a likes to fight guy i oh, don't yeah. know if you're familiar with the the classic gym room segment of likes to fight guy but likes to fight guy it came to do two things drink some beer and break somebody's face and he's all out of beer oh yeah <laughs> that was yeah, basically farnsworth he yeah. showed up to the stadium to throw 101 mile an hour fastballs and break somebody's face and that was his last fastball of the day
0: yes and if you have haven't seen this before go watch it because this is like a full-on bill goldberg spear to put him to the ground it was it was legendary
1: yeah first go google the Jim Rome likes to fight guy segment listen to that get a little jacked up then watch the farnsworth fight
0: you won't regret it let's go all right well that was actually my second pick so i'm gonna move on to the next one so my second pick which is the fourth overall pick I'm going with Izzy Alcantara, who you probably don't recognize that name right away, but he was a minor league baseball player who got hit by a pitch and then immediately crow hop, drop kicked the catcher in the chest. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then everyone's seen the video, but no one knows his name. And then he charged the mound And I mean, I picked this because of what he did in the first place, like completely unprecedented move, just destroying the catcher before he (laughs) trying to take on the pitcher. (laughs) I
1: love the kickback at the catcher. Just you got to disarm your, uh, the biggest defender for the pitcher there.
0: Exactly. And it's funny because if you go back and watch the video, it looks premeditated. Like he did it so quickly. It looks like he knew he was about to get hit and just had it in his mind that he was going to destroy the catcher first. Oh yeah. I think that idea came to him in a dream that week. Yeah. He was, he was ready for that. So, I mean, I picked this fight. Strictly for that, I mean, that already kind of seals the deal. But then I love how he did the whole thing where he charged the mound and ended up kind of getting surrounded in a circle by like five opposing players and did the thing where you just like spin as fast as you can waiting for the first guy to take you on. (laughs) Yeah, I think he ended up just getting crushed by the entire other team, but... It was, it was a pretty epic first move there. That's a good one. We need to see if we can find kind of
1: a video montage to put on Instagram of these because they're all so good. Yeah, that would be sick. <laughs> okay, so for my third and final pick, and I admit this is a little bit of cheating because it's not like a one-on-one fight um, or anything, which it doesn't necessarily have to be, but um, I'm taking the Cleveland Indians and the Texas Rangers versus the fans. Okay. Do you know what I'm talking no, about here? Give it to me. This is one of the most ridiculous stories I've ever heard in my life. And if you have not seen it, um, Google it or look it up on Wikipedia. But in 1974, the Cleveland Indians ran a special promotion called Ten Cent Beer Night. So it <laughs> already sounds like like a disaster waiting to happen dude it, it is so good so the game it, it got a little bit more rowdy from beginning to end um it started you know 5-1 semi-normal baseball game um then by like the third inning things started to happen on 10 cent beer night um a woman ran on to the indians on deck circle on the field and flashed the crowd um then the indians hit a home run and during the guys home run trot a man got naked and went streaking across the field uh later in the game a father and son ran onto the field and mooned the crowd so a lot of nudity and this is the most nudity i've ever heard of at a game like this it's 10 cent beer night baby (laughs) (laughs) that's what happens man okay so then it gets a little bit crazier um rangers first baseman mike hargrove i think around the fifth inning starts getting just pelted with hot dogs from everybody on the first base side behind the dugout This
0: seems fake
1: dude you have to read about this it's incredible um and then later things start to escalate a little bit more. There's an arguable call over at third base um, when a guy kind of slid into third base. He was called safe. The fans thought he was out. Anyway. Indians fans start to get a little bit unruly, throw objects onto the field, which, you know, you've seen that before, but one Indians fan threw lit firecrackers into oh my the gosh. into the Rangers' bullpen. That <laughs> might as well be a grenade at that yeah. point. Just throwing an
0: explosive in a contained environment, <laughs> that is terrifying. Well,
1: it's 1974 <laughs> and it's 10-cent beer night, baby. <laughs> um, and then a 19-year-old fan ran onto the field in an attempt to steal Rangers' outfield Jeff Burrow's hat. Um, in confronting the fan, Jeff Burrow's kind of tripped, so the Rangers dugout perceived that as him being attacked. So they start to run on the field to kind of get after this guy. Some of them carrying bats. Um, at which point, you know, when the Rangers are defending their player, the drunken ten-cent beer fans feel like they need to defend their guy too. Oh my. So they start running out on the field, uh, reportedly some with knives, some with chains. They get to a point where 200 fans approximately are surrounding about 25 players on the field. Um, Anyway, the riot apparently lasted like 20 minutes and they finally got it to calm down and got everyone out of the stadium. Um, The game was five to five in the ninth inning, but they ended up calling it. We'll see you another day. Oh my Um, goodness gracious. Dude, it's insane. You have to go read about this.
0: We might need to edit this out of the podcast so we can go secure the rights to a future Netflix documentary about this. I can't believe there's not one. It's
1: absolutely fantastic. This
0: belongs on every form of media.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So after the game and the post-game interviews, the umpire crew treat. Crew chief who had been struck in the head by a steel chair because someone kind of <laughs> ripped it out, <laughs> ripped it out of the stadium seating and just kind of threw it into the middle of a crowd and it hit him in the head. He referred to them as uncontrollable beasts. <laughs> Um, nine fans He's not wrong No he's not at all Nine fans were arrested And they were referred to as Knife wielding Bottle throwing <laughs> Chair tossing Fist swinging drunks I can agree with that too And then last thing To wrap this up um, As and This is a great way To sum this up I, I think it's a hilariously Kind of mundane quote But American League President Lee McPhail said There was no question That beer
0: played a part In the riot <laughs> You think so, buddy? Oh my gosh. All right. Well, before before <laughs> I even make my last pick we don't even need to put this to a, to a vote. I can see that you win this one, but I'll still get my pick anyways.
1: I admit it was kind of cheating, but I I needed more people to uh, to hear this story.
0: Yeah, and the fact that you waited for your last pick, that just means that you knew I wasn't going to pick that one, and that makes me feel even worse because I apparently didn't d- dive deep enough. Before.
1: Well, you waited uh, to take Happy Gilmore with your last pick yes. with the same mindset, so I had to get you back one way or another. Turn
0: about is fair play. Okay, um, my last pick, just because it was a recent one, and I'm kind of doing this as a shout out to our dad because it's his favorite well, one of his two favorites you might think i'm going with nolan ryan but i'm not my dad loves nolan ryan that's immediately what i thought of yeah i'm going rugio door versus jose bautista yep Uh, one because there was a cool backstory and just the hatred had built up for a while if you don't remember jose bautista hit a one of the coolest walk-off home runs i I, I feel bad saying that but one of the coolest walk-off home runs ever with a monster bat flip. It was so sick. Crowd went crazy in Toronto and he chucked his bat like a mile afterwards to knock the Rangers out of the playoffs. And then the next year, the blue Jays played the Rangers and Jose Bautista came in hot on a slide into second base and kind of spiked Ruggie Odor And, uh, He was apparently ready for that because he came back and caught the cleanest, probably the cleanest punch I've ever seen in a fight in baseball history, like caught him right on the jaw. And it's really awesome to watch in slow motion because his glasses come flying off. So I just love the kind of backstory behind that and the buildup behind that in combination with him getting absolutely crushed by, by Odor. Yeah, both of
1: those uh, were awesome. One, meaning the home run. Um, Like you said, I feel bad saying it because I know dad's a Rangers fan. But um, Jose Bautista absolutely jacked that and just tossed his bat to the moon. I mean, that thing's still in orbit. And then the punch, like you said, it it landed clean. I mean, he cracked it. Oh, yeah. Um, And do you remember what Jose Bautista said afterwards after the punch? He said, uh, a bigger man would have knocked me out. (laughs) So (laughs) It's kind of a tight quote, too. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, because he got... Knocked in the face very cleanly and kind of, I mean, he had a strong chin there. He, oh, for he stayed sure. on his feet. So um, I guess he kind of got the last laugh there on yeah. Radio Door.
0: I would have gotten completely wet noodled by that punch. I would have been lying oh, I'd be, on the ground. The I, yeah, I'd
1: be dead. Yeah. My whole, yeah, you get it. <laughs> Everyone I know would have died.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, let's swing on over to a little NBA action right now pretty much every team in the NBA only has one or two games left in this whole seeding process. And then we get some playoffs. I think that the first in games are going to go down on Saturday. If a second game is required, that's going to be on Sunday. And then the playoffs start on Monday. How you feeling about
1: it? I'm really excited for some NBA playoffs. Uh, there are going to be some incredible first round matchups, none better than the one I was saying I desperately wanted to see, which is the Oklahoma City Thunder versus the Houston Rockets. Um, we were saying at the beginning of the seeding games that we really needed the Utah Jazz to choke away that fifth seed, and they certainly did.
0: So I am ready to go for some NBA playoffs. Yeah, one thing that I hadn't really considered about the bubble format is that usually in the regular season, to the playoffs, there's like a complete flip of a switch, and the NBA playoffs tend to be almost a new sport compared to the regular season, like just the amount of intensity and the amount of defense played. But with the bubble and the fact that all of these teams playing for the last couple of weeks are good teams, and they're all in playoff contention, either fighting for a spot in the playoffs or fighting for a better seed, the intensity's already been pretty high. So I feel like people are just like coming in ready to get after it, and we have a really fun race for the eight seed in the West coming into tonight. The Blazers are in the eighth seed, up by half a game. And then right behind them, there's a three way tie currently for the ninth seed between the Suns, the Spurs, and the Grizzlies. So there's about a million ways that could shake out. I think, as it stands right now, correct me if I'm wrong, it would be almost unanimous that everyone wants to see the Blazers versus the undefeated Bubble Suns in that playing game. What do you think? Yeah, I think that would have to be
1: unanimous. I mean, you look at the other teams, the current iteration of the San Antonio Spurs in the post-Duncan, Ginobili, Parker era are just impossibly boring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Please throw them out. And then two of the most exciting teams in the league right now are Damian Lillard uh, in the Portland Trailblazers. Dame's on his revenge tour after he kind of got clowned on by the Clippers a little bit. Uh, the next two games, he scored 51 and 61, mm-hmm. just absolutely killing it. Um, and then the Suns are seven. 7-0 in the bubble. Uh, Devin Booker's going nuts. I mean, as well as TJ Warren for the Pacers has played since the restart, the MVP of the bubble has got to be between those two guys mm-hmm. and Dame Lillard and Devin Booker. And I would think that the NBA desperately wants that matchup to happen for the 8Z to see who goes and plays the Lakers. So I'm really interested to see that. And I hope that's how it shakes out.
0: Yeah, I would be fired up for that little mini series, whatever you want to call it for the play in. But then I would also be so excited for either one of those two teams coming in hot to play the one seed. Lakers who just don't look good right now. They look completely disheveled. I don't know what's happening with them, but teams with good guards against the Lakers who are missing their starting guards, that could be fun. But you mentioned Damian Lillard, and I got a trivia question for you. Okay. Okay, so Damian Lillard, the other night, on the first night, the 51.9, not the 61, became the 10th player in NBA history to have at least 10 career 50-point games. So the question is, can you name as many as you possible because this is a tough trivia question to ask you nine answers but can you name as many as possible of the nine other guys who have had at least 10 50 point games in their career oh man um is this in the post wilt era or no no okay so wilt yeah so it's kind of funny i'll give you the numbers as background the second place person on this list had 31 career 50 point games wilt in first place had 118 oh my goodness yeah, so that's pretty absurd as are Pretty much all Will Chamberlain stats, but yeah, Will Chamberlain's one. Yeah, there's a reason why he's a qualifier for exactly. so many stats. Okay, yep. Wilt, uh, Michael Jordan. He's two. LeBron James. Yep, he's down there on the list. He has 12. Kobe. Kobe's correct. He's three. He's three. He had 25, 50-point games in his career. Damian Lillard. Yep. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Going out on a limb on that good one. Job. That was tri- me trying to buy a little bit of time yeah, as I, I awkwardly sit here and think about this. And I love how I just very matter-of-factly said, yep, as if that was, <laughs> yep. as if that was a great guess.
0: But Good guess. Good job. Um, okay. Jamal Crawford. Is he a sneaky one? He's not correct, but that's a really good stat that I like. And I don't even know if this is right, but he has a record for most different teams scoring 50 points with no one would expect that because he's not one of the all-time great players but jamal crawford has scored has had a 50-point game for either three or four nba teams which is i know that's a record that's that's insane yeah that's very very sneaky um okay let me
1: think kareem abdul Jabakets.
0: yep correct so all-time leading scorer in nba history he's lowest on the list he had 10 career 50-point games Okay. I,
1: I never thought of him as like a 50-point-a-game scorer guy, but just the fact that he is, has so many and is number one on the all-time list, I figured yeah. he had to be on there. I'm
0: with you. I, I think of Kareem as like a 25-point-a-game guy, twenty-five point a game guy for whatever, 20-something years. Like, that's why he scored so many points. Right. Uh, Shaq. Shaq's not correct. No, you get one more incorrect
1: answer, and then I'll, uh, I'll just read him out. Okay. I'm going to start going with some like old-school guys who I know nothing about, but I know they're like up on all-time lists. How about... Like Elgin Baylor. Correct.
0: Really? Okay. Yeah. Huh. Um, Julius Irving. No. So it was Wilt Chamberlain one, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, James Harden, Elgin Baylor, Rick Barry, LeBron James, the answer, Allen Iverson, uh-huh. and Kareem okay. jabbar So pretty sick list for Damian Lillard to add himself to a bunch of absolute monster Hall of Famers. That is a sick list. I love James Harden being on there. What number was he? Four or five? James Harden has 23 career 50 point games, and he's got a long way to go. He's fifth on the list. Or sorry, fourth on the list. That's insane. Just just a quick
1: question that I want to ask you based on James Harden, something that I saw last week. Where do you think James Harden currently ranks all time? I, I I'm asking this because I saw something suggesting that if he just won one ring, he's in Dwayne Wade territory, and I don't necessarily disagree with that.
0: Yeah, I'd have a hard time disagreeing with that. When before you even said the Dwayne Wade thing, I was thinking he's got to be kind of low because he's never won a championship and that's just a big, you know, kind of booster in your career resume. I mean, he's probably already, you know, top, I mean, 30, 40ish guy, right? And he would go way high if he won one ring. I mean, the the consistency over a long period of time with which he has dominated the league in scoring is amazing. I and mean, every time I watch him, I am in shock at how effortlessly he scores the ball. I mean, that guy scores 30 easily and scores 40 and 50 regularly. I mean, he's insane.
1: Yeah, when, when I think about guys during our lifetime that kind of change the game lebron and then steph curry just the way that he kind of brought it outside the perimeter shooting these deep threes and the next is james harden just with these step back threes that you have to step out and defend because it's just become this unstoppable move but as soon as you step out on him he takes you straight to the rack and gets an and one so yeah. james harden's up there
0: yeah and he's bigger than you think he's six five and mean he's a he's a thick dude he can shoot he can take you to the hole i mean i don't know how you stop him every time I watch him I'm like how do you stop that guy yeah, and of all of these
1: accolades and impressive things we're talking about with James Harden, I think maybe the most impressive thing about him is that he dated a Kardashian and it didn't ruin his life. Wow, I yeah.
0: had never really thought about that. He's one of the few. Think about that. Is yeah. he
1: invincible? He, he could be. The, the beard makes him invincible. Yeah, his kryptonite his is the strip clubs before Game 7s, but he can survive uh,
0: dating a Kardashian. He can. Another big piece of NBA news is that they are apparently going to allow guests in the bubble beginning after the first round of the playoffs. As far as I know, they're allowed four guests. They get one ticket per playoff game. All the guests that are entering the bubble have to quarantine for a week before they're allowed to go out and about. And then they had to establish a rule that no casual relationships are allowed inside the bubble. (laughs) They have to uh, prove that they have had a long-term relationship with a person before that person is allowed to come into the bubble. I think there's some other stuff. What do you know about it?
1: Well, I I just want to say, I think that having to prove that it's a long-term relationship is so funny. Just explicitly (laughs) saying, you cannot DM a girl on Instagram, tell her to come to the bubble and use that as your
0: playoff guest. Yes, that would happen a lot.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but what I wanted to touch on with these rules that I thought was kind of funny is they're allowed four guests, one ticket per playoff game, plus an additional ticket for a child shorter than 32 inches.
0: (laughs) Did you see that? I think now that you mentioned it, I read something about it and I glossed over it, but that is kind of a hilarious <laughs> hilariously specific thing to to it's put ridiculous. Out
1: there. Yeah, and Woj tweeted that out today. So, like, that's actually yeah, real. It has sure. to be a 32-inch or smaller child. <laughs> and so that prompted me to look up the height restrictions for roller coasters at Disney World, because of course they're down in Orlando, mm-hmm. and a majority of the rides you can't ride unless you're forty inches tall. Oh wow. So what a nightmare for all of the babies and toddlers that are between. 33 inches and 39 inches that
0: sucks oh man i'm glad that you're thinking about the marginalized people in society oh it's ridiculous
1: yeah if i was a 37 inch baby i would be out in the streets with yes. my sign I rioting, would be
0: rampaging
1: yeah that's a disaster you can't go to orlando and watch your dad play in the playoffs but you also can't ride the rides that is complete that horseshit that sucks <laughs> So the next thing I looked up as I went down this rabbit hole was the average height of a three-year-old and it is 37 inches. So I am going to start a fight for justice for three-year-olds in Orlando. Um, look out for a, a GoFundMe. Or
0: we could go down there and build a bunch of rides that can be ridden by 32 to 40 inches and okay. make a killing off of it.
1: That's a really good idea too. I kind of wanted to go down there anyway and see if we could sneak into the bubble. I'm sure we couldn't, but it could be fun.
0: Yeah, plus I'm about to finish the seventh book of Harry Potter and uh, I've been wanting to go to Harry Potter World when I finish, Ooh, it. so let's okay. go. All let's right. do it. Cool, all right. Last thing I want to talk about, perfect transition, Harry Potter to UFC. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's, a big, there's a big UFC card this weekend. We've got UFC 252. Main event is Daniel Cormier versus Stipe Miacic for the heavyweight championship a lot of people would probably say that this may be for the greatest heavyweight of all time in the UFC. I think if Daniel Cormier won, at least in my opinion, he would be the greatest heavyweight of all time. The only two people he's ever lost to are you know, steroid out John Jones and Stipe in their second fight. This is going to be a trilogy. First fight, Daniel Cormier uh, knocked Stipe out in the fourth round. Second fight, Stipe knocked out DC in the first. So this is kind of to settle it all. Um, I'm really hoping the DC wins because he's just a great guy, easy to root for. He's going to retire after this fight and become a high school wrestling coach, which is pretty dope. You know, half high school wrestling coach, half UFC announcer. Um, odds are really close and this is a really tight one to call. Currently Daniel Cormier is the favorite at -120 and Stipe is the underdog at -110. So, it's basically a pick 'em. If I had to choose between the two, I would go with DC at -120, but to be honest, that might be my heart over my head a little bit there. But it's going to be fun to watch regardless, so tune in.
1: Yep. I'm sticking with uh, Cormier to minus 120. He's 22 and two for his career. Uh, This is for riding out in the sunset as the greatest heavyweight of all time. Let's go Cormier.
0: Yep. He's a beast. And then another guy, if you're not into UFC, an up and comer that you need to see that you have to see is Sugar Sean O'Malley. If you don't know what he looks like, look him up because he's pretty crazy looking. He's kind of like a skinny, uh, long haired Post Malone. He's got like a bunch (laughs) of face tats. He's got crazy hair and he is absolutely a monster. I've been watching UFC for a long time. I mean, coming up on like 15 years now, I started watching in UFC 61 and it's currently UFC 252. This sugar Sean rise feels a lot like the Conor McGregor rise. I mean, in a lot of ways, he's kind of up and coming. He's faced lower level competition so far, but he has completely dominated everyone they put in front of him. And he just looks incredible doing it. He's super athletic, has crazy power. And he has the thing that all great fighters do where he's just kind of unorthodox. He does things, comes at angles that other guys don't. And so they're giving him a major step up in competition this weekend with Marlon Vera, but he's still a big a big favorite. I think currently he's like minus 330 or something. Yep. I mean, I probably wouldn't jump in there just because of the odds, but he's going to be fun to watch. And if he wins this fight, and especially if he wins it convincingly, I mean, the race is on as far as how fast they're going to push that guy towards a title fight. He's going to be at least two more fights away. I think he's going to have to face a top 10 guy and a top five guy before he gets there, but sugar Sean, keep your eyes out. Yeah. He's, he's
1: a really good fighter. And not only that, he's just very eccentric, got a ton of personality. So I can see him following that Conor McGregor model and end up, you know, uh, fighting a hundred million dollar fight someday, but
0: minus three thirty, good candidate to parlay with something else. Yeah. It's kind of worked against them so far. He's a big personality and he looks crazy with his multicolored hair and in a similar, but different way than McGregor, like McGregor, because of the way he talked, people took him less seriously and thought he was all hype and not skill. I think sugar Sean's the same way where because of the way he looks, people aren't taking him as seriously, but this is the kind of fight that if he wins this everyone's going to know he's the real deal. Yeah. If he wins this
1: one, I think next on the list is going to be Kyle Farnsworth and Ron Artest. That would be a dope
0: three-way match. Set that up. Let's go. All right, guys. Well, that's going to be it for this episode today. One thing that I do want to say before we leave is that it would help us out a lot. If you've enjoyed this podcast to go on Apple podcasts or Spotify and either subscribe or follow also any reviews or ratings that you can leave us are huge because they help us get this podcast out to more people. Other than that, we love y'all. Thanks for listening. Hope you have a good day. See you soon.